everybody. And isn't ironic that no one ever messages me except when the podcast comes on. Dun, dun, dun. But hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 139. And even the dog outside is going off. Ah, wonderful. Um, yes, I am a sleepy man's. Took a nap with Bullet. Yes, right. Puppies, right. And uh, now we're just going to get right into the show, but beforehand, I'm going to have to close my window. So let me go do that, and we'll get right to the show. Dog. Dog. All right, guys, we are back again. Uh, another fantastic guest. Sorry if I sound a little off. I just woke up from a nap. But um, yeah, so the, our next guest, um, we found each other on Podmatch as always, where I seem to find everyone. Um, he has a very interesting story, and as, as I love to delve into mental health, um, I don't believe we talked about his specific type of mental health, or at least one part of it. Uh, and I'm very uh, curious to know more about it and, and get to know him more. Uh, so you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on your show. My name's Matthew Dixon. I live in Eastern Canada. I got schizophrenia at the age of 22, which took my life down a whole different path. Uh, before I got sick, I bicycled across Canada when I was 20, and I wanted to do more fun stuff like that. Uh, schizophrenia... Uh, that's a whole other story. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. I also had depression and anxiety. And yeah, so uh, what I do now is I advocate for people with mental illness in developing countries at mindaid.ca. And yeah. Well, it just as like a, a side note here, like with, with mental health, I think, again, I, I love to delve into it so much because like get really deep with it because a lot of people, when you hear about it, it's especially here in the States, we like to talk about it when it comes to when violence happens, let's say a shooting or so, and it's more of a political reason. And people don't talk about it on a, on a like they talk about it on a very surface level. They don't really get so deep into it to where we, you know, strip it down and then we get to know every little avenue of, of what mental health is. And for you, as, as you were saying, you're a very physical person and... I'm a person who has had, has depression. It's gotten better over the years, but I've had it. And physically, mental health, I mean, it also, it takes a toll on you. There's a lot of stress and, and it, it it makes you achy and, and so on. But the fact that mental health can, you can be the most physical person. If you are really depressed, you don't even want to get out of bed. It's the complete opposite of, of what you really, like for you, you're a physical, uh, motivated person. So um, yeah. do you agree or... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was so difficult getting out of bed. I, uh, through my recovery, that was uh, the hardest thing I did every day was uh, get out of bed in the morning. That was the single hardest thing I did every single day. And yeah, I know Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, he said when he was younger, he had depression. So even even The Rock can get depressed and not want to do anything. Yeah, and you see him now, and he's like, you know, he says he has this big like mantra of, you know, no one will outwork me. 
because he just can. He's in his fifties and he just sits in the gym and he's, you know, he's he's just yoked. He's just this giant man, um, and he doesn't have to work as hard because he's already financially set. But he continues to push harder, especially for his fifty-year-old body. And now apparently, I guess he's coming back to wrestling too. So, no, no way. Yeah, oh wow! Apparently. Wow, I didn't hear that. Yeah, well, that's the big rumor because right? they're one of the. And again, I'm not a big wrestling guy, but the the the, the main wrestler, uh, the, the number one champion, uh, Roman Reigns, is, is Samoan, and they're related, and that's like oh. a big match that they want. They want to have the Samoan versus. I mean, he's half Samoan, both of them, um, but um, the Rock. That's like a big like dream match that they've wanted to make. So, uh, and if there's anybody that can do it in their fifties, it's him because. <laughs> not to go on a, on the rock tirade, but um, but he's a he's a good person to look you know look as a role model for a person who yeah definitely had mental health and obviously was a very physical person because be, beyond wrestling he was also a a, a sought after football player in college mm-hmm. before he 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 messed up his leg yeah <clears throat> but um. But yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. Unless, unfortunately, a lot of times it doesn't seem like unless celebrities talk about it, you don't hear a whole lot about mental health. And then you hear, of course, the internet's cruel too because celebrities will say that and then somebody will say, well, why don't you kill yourself or whatever horse shit. But uh, like the big one for me was Robin Williams because, um, you know, this renowned actor, famous guy, very funny, and he's in all these movies and then he, he hangs himself. And... You know, it's, and yeah. you know, but, and for the average person, you know, for us, just normal people or, or, you know, non-famous people, we look at it as like, oh, they have everything. But that's why I'm, I'm kind of torn. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm, I'm very torn about suicide and, and it being selfish or not. I guess it, it's kind of case by case for me, because obviously if you do it in front of your kids or something, it's selfish, but when someone says it's selfish because you killed yourself, it's like, but you don't, you don't know what it's like to be in that person's mind and that person, you know, whatever they're dealing with, regardless of how it may seem very minute on the outside, a very small, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal to you, to them it is. And, and mental health can exacerbate and, and, and go in a direction that most people, it's, it's kind of like when you try to explain a dream to somebody, like the feeling of it, because the feeling of the dream is I'm sweating and oh my God, it's horrible. But when you explain it out, you know, outwardly to a person, it sounds silly. But the feeling yeah, and the yeah. tone of it is really dark. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your take is on on suicide. But it, you know, it's it, I've I've been pushed to the brink and I had an attempt, and I'm glad I didn't go through with it. But it's you know, when it, especially when it comes like we were talking about the Rob with suicide, like I said, the big one for me was Robin Williams because of how much he had and, and how much he was a part of my life, just entertainment wise. And then he, he's just gone due to, uh, however, you know, he was feeling because of, you know, he couldn't do the same vocal inflections and he wasn't mm-hmm. as quick witted as he used to be. And it just tore him apart inside. And, and even though he still, I'm sure was quicker than all of us and still smart and funny, um, that those demons inside just tore them up. Okay. Yeah, I never attempted, but I was very close. And it was, uh, yeah. I will say, though, that there have been studies out, it's well documented now that people who've attempted, many of them instantly regret it. Uh, there's people who've jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived, mm-hmm. and they've asked them, what were you thinking the instant after you jumped where there was no return? 
And many of them said, I instantly regretted it. Kevin Hines, he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. He was one of them who said, I instantly regretted it. He is a suicide prevention and mental health speaker and advocate now. He says that he will never take his life by suicide because he knows he will always be able to push through it. He says he still has suicidal thoughts to this day, but he knows he will never act on them, which I think is very important for people to know. Um, You can be standing there thinking, I want to die. There's nothing left for me. There's no hope. And I, and you, but within a, a split second, your entire brain chemistry can change to, I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. And that's what Kevin said as he was falling down to the water below. I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to, I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. And when he hit the water, he said he knew he had to fight hard to survive. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I it's, it's crazy how, your mind works and it gives into these traps and it make it starts dragging you down and having, you have these such horrible, I mean, again, I know you've been there and it, it drags you down to these really dark places that you don't feel like you can ever get out of. And you're just sinking and sinking. And it's, it could be very terrifying because I mean, I don't, I don't know where your mind went, but what I talked about a lot on here is I, mean, I my brain was going to places where I was, it was complete opposite who I was. I would see a pretty girl and go, she'll never want me. I, I should rape her. Though I would never act upon it, it was scary enough that I would even have that thought or that I would just want to assault somebody or whatever. I'd just have these really bad thoughts about other people because they were happy and because I was miserable and, and, and insecure and just hated everything about myself. And I, I've been through a lot. You know, I'm legally blind and I had a disease that nearly killed me when I was a kid. So I, I, and I've been through a lot of abuse and trauma when I was a child. But it's still no excuse. It's just, you know, I just have had been through so much and then my brain just, it, it, I don't know. The mind just has a way, like you have to find ways to combat your brain and your brain is always ahead of you because it knows what you're going to think before you even say it. So you're kind of constantly battling it. And you know, when it comes to, for me, for suicide, I always say, I think everyone likes to present that you have to have this big thing that you, you know, you're a, a lover or, you know, family or whatever to keep you going. But sometimes it is the smallest things. Like if there's an artist that you enjoy and you know, an album is coming out, like, okay, maybe a single is dropping. You're like, Oh, I can't wait for that single. And that's coming in 24 hours. Well, you have 24 hours you want to live. And then you're like, yeah. okay, in two weeks, another single's dropping. Well, there's two weeks you want to live. And then, the album drops and then maybe another album that's similar or you know that their career's not over. So you're like, okay, maybe they'll drop next year and you you get little glimpses of hope to keep you alive. It doesn't have to be this, you know, you know, large scale of uh, an object or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I totally, I totally hear what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, so, so what, getting more back to you, what was that drove you down? Was, was it the, did the schizophrenia come first or did the depression, the depression come first? So they all kind of happened equally at the same time. Okay. I, there, we have found there's not much mental illness in my family. We don't have, I don't have a large family tree, we, um, but we did find a relative in the early 1900s who did have schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is, there's some mystery around it. We do know a lot about it, but there's some mystery to it for sure still. One thing is it sometimes skips generations. A grandmother or grandparent can have it, and then it skips the parent and goes to the child. Okay. Uh, but that's not all the time. That's just sometimes. Okay. Um, 
before you go, and, on, can you can you yeah. tell us like the definition of what schizophrenia really is before people go on? Yeah, to... yeah. So schizophrenia hallucinations are common. Seventy five percent of people with schizophrenia have hallucinations. Uh, not everybody does. I was in the twenty five percent that didn't. Okay. The hallucinations can be any of the five senses actually, and also some hallucinations can actually be beautiful and enjoyable. But for the most part, they can be relentlessly tormenting, uh, just people insulting you in your head uh, all day long from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep at night, brushing your teeth, putting on your shoes, everywhere. They never leave you alone. So that's huge. Um, disorganized thinking is a trait. Um, it was hard for me to think uh, logically in some ways. Other ways, I could still think logically. Okay. Um, I mean, I could, and other people with schizophrenia say this, you know, part of your brain is not working well at all. Other parts tick along just fine. Like I would say, okay, what do I want to do now? Well, I'd like to go watch a movie or go for a walk or go get an ice cream or go back to school. I could make large and small decisions throughout the day, but it was sort of like making decisions during this sort of tornado of uh, just sort of stimuli. It felt like I was being bombarded by stimuli. It felt like I associated with uh, people where things are too bright or too loud um, everything was just, uh, I felt like I was in a tornado. Just, uh, it, my, uh, I felt like I was watching TV. Mm. Um, I, I could see things in front of me, but it felt like I couldn't really interact with them. Like you can't interact with somebody on a TV screen. You can see it, but you just can't, they don't talk back to you or whatever. I mean, we can now video chats and zoom and everything, but yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Though, uh, I couldn't think about things that were intangible in some ways, uh, it was hard to think about concepts. I could think about things generally. Uh, I could think about things specifically, but not generally. And it's uh, it was very, very difficult. But um, I, I do want to tell people that you can get through it. Recovery is possible, and it's not uh, the end of the world for you. Uh, lots of people, millions of people, are living good lives and. Uh, they may still have symptoms, but they've learned to deal with them a lot better and they've diminished uh, to a certain degree. And they, uh, there's a lady in uh, New York City, her name's Cecilia McGow, and she has a TED Talk called I Am Not a Monster Schizophrenia. She started a nonprofit called Students with Psychosis, and she has uh, student advocates with schizophrenia or psychosis all over the world. During COVID, she started posting photos of their group Zooms with their advocates. For the first time in my life, I started seeing photos of all these people with the exact same thing as me. I hadn't seen that. I didn't even know what we looked like as a group. And I mean, they were all young, like, you know, students. And I was in my late 40s. I'm 50 now. But uh, it's for the first time I saw what we looked like. But they also started posting uh, just single things about them, like, hi, I'm so-and-so, I've got schizophrenia or psychosis, I live in Argentina, I'm studying astronomy or geology. And they, they posted all these, these a paragraph about themselves, all these wide, wide variety of interests and passions, and what they want to do with their life and dreams and goals and skills and abilities. And it's, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all different and yeah, those are some of the main uh, symptoms. Okay. Now, because now, you were saying that it's kind of like a part of your brain just isn't working, but 
does that, re- I mean, you know, like when you have a concussion, you can see that on a scan, but can you actually, obviously there's a way of testing for it. So obviously how do you test for it? But I mean, can you see schizophrenia on some sort of EEG or MRI type of scan? Yeah. So, well, actually, yeah. Dr. Daniel Amen. I just second with a sneeze. That's gone. <laughs> I hate That's- that. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, he's a leading brain scientist in the U.S. He's got a number of books. Is one of his most uh, popular ones, or common, commonly read ones, is uh, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And that gives a really good description of uh, the brain and things that can go wrong in it. Because, I mean, I read books in the brain. There's all these different regions of the brain, the hippocampus, the amygdala, all these names, prefrontal cortex, cerebellum. I don't know how they all work together. But his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, just simplifies it so much. It says basically, here are six or seven regions of the brain. If you have an overactivity or an underactivity in these regions, this is what's going to, these will be your symptoms, like mentally, for disorders or mental illnesses. And it's a wonderful simplification of the brain. But he says that brain, he says psychiatry is the only profession where they don't actually look at the organ they're treating. He says, uh, psychiatrists don't scan your brain. Um, they're probably doing that more now, but I, my brain was never scanned. No one ever looked at my brain um, or anything. They just monitored my behavior, how I looked and presented myself and what I was saying when they asked me questions about how I was doing. And that's how they monitored me. There's no poking or prodding, just sort of asking questions and looking. But uh, Dr. Daniel Amen does He's got a, it's called SPECT, S-P-E-C-T. It's a kind of scan where he looks for blood flow in the brain. And if there's an overactivity or, or an underactivity of brain flow, he can very accurately pinpoint your issues. And that said, I mean, the brain is still a very mysterious thing. We haven't found out everything about how the brain works mm-hmm. and what regions are working or not working with schizophrenia, but... We do know a fair bit about it. so. Well, it's extremely fascinating because I'm going through my own thing with trying to get to the bottom of my brain fog. I mean, my depression is one thing. I've had a lot to be depressed about. Regardless if I want to stay depressed, I, I've had a lot of things I've gone through. So some of it, is it, it, it makes sense. But with the brain fog, it's a newer thing within the last two years. And I'm trying to get to the bottom. And I've been going through all these scans and, and, and none of it comes up. It's all just, you know, well, you don't have cancer. You don't have tumors, you know. There's no concussion. There's all these things that they're looking for, uh, and it's like or seizures and stuff like that. And none of that shows up on these scans. And or I mean, it would show up if I had it, but I, you know, I'm 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 fine. But you know, they'll constantly say, "No, you're good." And it's like, no, I know my brain, and it, it's super frustrating because I just need somebody who really knows the brain because I just want to get to where I just want to get to a place where my my head is a little more clear. Because it's it's, okay. it's so foggy and frustrating. Okay, uh, Doctor Daniel Amen has clinics. I think in New York City and California, you can go there and have your brain scanned for. I'm going to throw out some numbers like five, six, seven thousand dollars or something like that. Those are very rough. I'm, I don't know that for sure, but in that order of cost, it's not like fifty thousand or anything, or like a hundred dollars. And uh, that's one thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I'll look into it. 
yeah, I, I want to get more back to you. I was just throwing it in there because that's uh, it's something I've been dealing with where because I was curious if they can actually find schizophrenia on there because it doesn't seem with a lot of these major scans they they don't really seem to find some of the underlying issues that are really affecting people on a daily basis. Most people aren't running around with brain cancer and tumors, and I mean, there's mm-hmm. plenty of people that have it, unfortunately, but. The stuff that is especially, you know, especially with like depression, you know, there's got to be a better way of testing it other than just going, well, hey, do you have the symptoms? Because not everything. Yeah. I mean, I think we found out even with COVID, you know, you may not have any symptoms and still have it. It's, you know, there's there's plenty of things out there that it, it's it's much harder to detect. Um, yeah. But go ahead. I mean, you are getting more into your, your yeah. story as far as. Well, uh, well. To be honest, I love throwing up mental health tips. That's uh, because there's. Um, I've, I've read a ton of books on how to get how to get myself better. I'm thinking of some things for you right now, us, your audience. Um, there's, uh, and like I said, the only certification I have is a civil engineering degree. I'm not a mental health certified, and I'm not certified in anything mental health related. I've got a lot of lived experience. I read a lot of books, but uh, listen to me with a dose of skepticism because I could be wrong about something. I try to present myself, you know, I try to be open and honest and transparent because I want to help people, but I, you know, I could be wrong about something, but um, there's a Dr. Daniel Amen also has a brain health CD or or you can get it on your phone. There are songs to recalibrate your brain just for general brain health uh, with alpha, delta, theta waves, like brain waves, uh, just from music. Um, they, You'll see those videos on YouTube with all sorts of like alpha or theta waves sort of thing, music for studying too. I don't necessarily trust those because I just don't know much about the YouTube channels they come from. But Dr. Daniel Amen has been around for years. I I trust him. I mean, others may not, but I, I trust him. He's, he's very popular. Um, and he's, his CD, I've been listening to it for since 2015, I think it came out, or 2016. Is it uh, he's got more... YouTube channel. Uh, I've, I've got, I listen to it on a, on a CD, but you can get it, the music like on your phone somehow, whether it's Amazon or iTunes. I don't know how, but it's, okay. it is possible, yeah. We could talk more There's about it off there, but I, I'd, I'd love to try to try it out and see what happens. Yeah, for for me, I found it best just to l- listen when I'm driving in the car. That's easiest for me. Okay. And there's a song for creativity, for focus, for anxiety, for uh, motivation, for uh, mo- uh, yeah, a, a lot a lot of things like that. So it's uh, yeah, I just keep listening to them. And whether that fixed me or not, I don't know. But it uh, certainly couldn't have hurt. Whatever helps, my friend, because you know how many damn supplements I've tried. Oh, it's it's crazy. I've tried so many. You know, I mean, they even say to exercise because that helps, and I am exercising. I've been going to the gym frequently, and I mean that helps for my physical health, but I don't think it's helping mentally. Um, okay, you know, and again, there's I'm, like yeah. there's like magnetic resonate uh, magnetic resonance uh, things they can do now, like to put on your. Uh, you sort of put your head in this sort of big magnet. I forget the exact term, magnetic resonance or something for depression. Okay. Um, that's one thing. Um, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I don't want to focus too much on me just because it's your episode, but I, yeah. Oh, no, no, it's okay, yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's, uh, I will, I do like mentioning a few books here. because uh, They're on my website, uh, mindaid.ca, under the free tips button. Um, it's a list of my top, books and articles and resources including that brain health cd uh it's i i just like to throw these out there's a guy his name's mark divine 
and he's a Navy SEAL. He's uh, created and trained thousands of Navy SEALs, and he's got books on how us civilians can learn these Navy SEAL mindset secrets, and it's phenomenal. It's, uh, there's another book called The Survivor Personality. Uh, Mark Devine's book called is called Unbeatable Mind. I forget if I said that. Okay. Uh, the Survivor Personality by Al Siebert, S-I-E-B-E-R-T. Mm-hmm. He studied how people got through the Holocaust, cancer, natural disasters, alcoholism, and how they thrived on the other side. He studied them for decades, and he sums it all up in his in his book, The Survivor Personality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's there's that's one of the. I mean, I don't talk much about medication or uh, different types of therapy, uh, like. Uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical. I know those are great. Uh, I just don't know a whole lot about that stuff, but I've read a lot of books on just mindset and resilience and people skills, uh, books by Navy SEALs, Olympic athletes, on how they just got better better and stronger mentally. And that's one of the things I try to tell people because these are thoughts, thought patterns that we all have that affect how we feel about ourselves and feel about other people and how strong we are. And these are common thought patterns that don't, that aren't really in some ways affected by depression or schizophrenia. These are things we all think about running onto the back of our heads. And if you can get those stronger and there's, there's all these books out there for free in your library or articles. I mean, all these top CEOs are learning how to get better mentally stronger. And there's tons of resources out there on how to do that. And those books I just mentioned, those are some some of my top favorite ones for just getting a stronger mind. And it's they're just all factors. I mean, you can do all sorts of things to get yourself better mentally. Uh, do what works for you. And if if uh, reading books helped me, um, plus it, it occupied my time. Uh, when you're sick and you want to just want to want to lie in bed, read a book, learn something, educate yourself on how to get yourself better. It it uh, Reading is is healthy for your mind or watching whatever your form of uh, education mode is, whether it's watching videos or podcasts. It's, uh, yeah, it's educating yourself is huge. Yeah, and those people that you're reading up on, those are some of the toughest mental people in the world because they have to, especially Navy SEALs. Yeah, yeah. They have to be mentally strong before they can actually be physically strong. I mean, that's... You can be as physically strong as you want, but if your brain doesn't want to do something, it'll the rest of your yeah. body's going to go with it. Yeah. So, like, I was, I've been reading these books for years, and uh, I so when I went into the hospital, I got on a medication with schizophrenia. It's common that you need, because it's a severe, a severe mental illness that you probably need medication. I, I got on medication; it helped, so I stayed on it. I'm still on it today. I noticed an improvement in my health every single week for 27 years. And in 2021, one day my symptoms just stopped. And uh, now I have uh, peace and contentment. I have thoughts that don't go around in circles. They're full and complete. I get to pause and reflect and think about stuff in a much peaceful, healthier way. And But through those years, as I was slowly progressing, you know, I'd be reading these books by Navy SEALs or police officers or Olympic athletes or top CEOs and, and mental health experts, world-class experts on mindset and resilience. And yes, but so like I, I have all this knowledge in my head and okay, so I may not have been able to use it as well because I was still sick to a certain degree, although slowly improving every single week for 27 years. But all that knowledge that's in your head, 
uh, you have that and it's hard to take that away from you. You'll have that knowledge for the rest of your life on how Navy SEALs, I mean, it's all written down in books for like $20. You can buy that for yourself or get it from the library for free. It's insane how much knowledge is out there on people doing this stuff. So it, it, they're all factors in like in uh, having that knowledge. The old saying, what doesn't, uh, the old saying of knowing is half the battle. That, I found that so true. Reading a book, oh, so that's how Navy SEALs do it. Oh, so that's how police officers deal with people with words, not weapons. That's their verbal judo training, which is another book that's on my free tips button on my website. Uh, the Survivor Personality, all these books. Oh, so that's how you do it. I was reading books on people skills, how to deal with people better, because people stress is a pretty common, a lot of people cause stress. If you can lower the stress, that's one less factor in your life. So, yeah, I was sick and I couldn't, you know, I, I wasn't able to do all these things the best because I was still sick to a certain degree, but I had that knowledge. And it's, it's important because it does make you stronger to a certain degree. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was some of the first things that you noticed when you were, you know, starting down your journey with uh, schizophrenia? Like, was, was there something specific that was happening to you? So I don't have many complaints about my life other than schizophrenia. I So like in, a, in university, well, at university, it's common for a lot of people to feel a bit, you know, feel lost or, you know, big changes. Move away from home for the first time. You've got to figure out how to live on your own. You've got to navigate an entirely new social network, uh, brand new people, total strangers you've never met before. Studies are harder. College and university clips along at a faster pace than high school. And uh, navigating all sorts of stuff. But uh, for me, so I had all that stuff going on, but I was fairly calm about it. I didn't really let it get me stressed too much. But I, I'd i say in university, I was more lonely. Uh, I, uh, with, I didn't really know how to make friends as well. Um, and there are books on that. There's one book by uh, Vivek Murthy, the U.S. Surgeon General, uh, called Together. And that's a great book. It's, it's pretty much being labeled as a classic now on how to, uh, why you feel lonely, all the different aspects of it, why you, uh, and how to become less lonely and make more connections with people. But uh, other than that, I, with the, other than that, my problems were schizophrenia. And my first symptom, my first year of university was uh, feeling low on energy. That's how I would have described it to you at the time, just low on energy. And that may have been depression kicking in. My second year, I started to feel blunted emotionally to a certain degree. Uh, I bicycled across Canada with the uh, uh, after my third year, feeling it felt like I was watching things on TV, um, sort of two dimensionally more than three dimensionally. Mm-hmm. Um, if you threw me a ball, I could catch it, but I just sort of felt uh, cut off, sort of disconnected from the world in front of me through my eyes. And my fourth year and fifth year, I had some other symptoms creep up, but these were all things that I could still do stuff. I was going to university, getting mostly A's. I was living on my own. I biked across Canada feeling, you know, not the best. I was on the university rowing team. But when the disease hit, it hit hard And in my last year, just before I was going to graduate. And I went from muddling through life a little bit to flat on my back, incapacitated, not knowing whether I was going to live or die from one moment to the next. It was terrifying how the pain just slipped in like that. And 
I, I voluntarily went to get help. I was uh, thinking of ending my life, and I thought that's not good, so I better get help. So I went to the university health clinic. They took me up to the city psych ward in the hospital, and that was my introduction into the mental health system. And they got me on a medication, and yeah, I started working on my recovery, and I did that for a long, long, long time. <laughs> did you hear voices or anything? I never did. I was in the 25% of people with schizophrenia that don't hear voices. Okay. So I was very thankful that way. I also had no problems with substance abuse. Uh, I was lucky that way. I've never had much inclination to drink or do drugs or smoke or anything. So, yeah. yeah that helps. Yeah, I know yeah. schizophrenia is a big one when it comes to murderers and serial killers. People get very fascinated with these people and they try to measure out like what their brain capacity is and a lot of times schizophrenia is always something that comes up with some of these really horrifying murder scenes where, you know, they hear certain things and they're told to do this and do that and um, it gets caught up in a lot of, I mean, that's why I wanted to talk to somebody who's doing well with it because there are people who aren't and some people do some really horrific things because they hear, yeah. they hear stuff. Yeah. yeah, thanks for bringing that up because this is a conversation that, I'm so, uh, I so wish we didn't even have to have this conversation, but I also so want to have this conversation because the stats are, these are the stats that I wish were mainstream, con mainstream knowledge. 2% of the population is violent. The general population is violent. And that doesn't mean they're all murderers. In Canada, the rate of murder is one per 150,000 people per year. Nice. So if you're in a city of 150,000 people, that's one murder per year. Wow. So, but 2% of the population uh, being violent, that uh, they say violence is actually difficult to define. It's very nuanced. There, There's kicking, biting, scratching. There's psychological violence. Uh, there's bar fights. There's all sorts of things that classify as violence. So that 2% is, is fairly all-encompassing. Mm -hmm. The same stat, though, is for people with schizophrenia. 2% of people with schizophrenia are violent, no more than the general population. But I will say that the British Columbia in Canada, their schizophrenia society, they say that, and I'm, I'm trying to learn these stats because it's uh, sort of sometimes hard to find material information on schizophrenia. There are books written about it, but there aren't a whole lot. Uh, there's a lot more books on depression than schizophrenia, for example, or anxiety. Yeah. But the BC, British Columbia uh, Schizophrenia Society said that there are, uh, for untreated schizophrenia, the rate of violence is higher. And what I'm trying to find out from them is what is that rate? If it's 2% for the general population, uh, is it 3% for people with untreated schizophrenia, or is it 10% or 6%? What is it? I, that's what I need to know because I want to share these stats because the more informed people are, uh, it's, it's, we can stop uh, being worrying, have people worrying about, you know, thinking every single person with schizophrenia is a, a murderer, which is so far from the truth, so far. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I, I mean, yeah, a lot of these issues, like I look at it even like the homeless thing, the homeless population where here we have so many homeless people and, you know, a lot of them end up going to drinking and drugs and so on, but they didn't do that beforehand. And a lot of people will, will confuse the issue by saying, well, that's because most people who are homeless are, are addicts or, you know, you got the, the pedophilia thing. Well, they, they kind of try to mix that in with the gay community and all like there's always something that kind of, 
really convolutes the whole argument and the whole conversation. And with, with this, obviously, it's the serial killing because people are so fascinated about true crime and all that. And it is fascinating, and I, I'm, I'm, I get into it. But when, I guess, because, you know, there's not many people advocating for schizophrenia. So the things that you see, the most popular things you see when it comes to schizophrenia, a lot of times it comes to this true crime stuff where people are some kind of mass murderer. And it's like, oh, and that that's the image, that's the imagery that comes out. And that's what you see. Even if it's not the majority, it's the thing that everyone just resonates with. And they see and they go, oh, okay, that, that's what that is. That's what defines schizophrenia, even if it doesn't. Uh, yeah. So that's why it's good to have these open conversations with somebody who's had it because and, and has is living with it and is, well, be, let, is beating it. Thanks. Yeah. Let, let me put it this way. Imagine you're walking down the street and you're there's people on the sidewalk. You walk into a coffee shop. There's people around people you don't know, strangers, like a typical city. And you meet somebody and you start talking and you talk about mental health, which you can do these days. Back in the 90s, I had to. I, I just didn't talk about mental health with anybody. I mean, you pretty much can now. I mean, you can pretty much go down the street and shout mental health into a megaphone and nobody bats an eye. But uh, imagine you're going down the street and you talk about uh, uh, somebody being left-handed and you lower your voice because you don't want anybody around to know that you're left-handed. Why? Because some left-handed people kill people. And it's true. There are people, there are murderers out there who are left-handed. It's right. the way it is. Right. But to have to lower your voice so that the people around you, the strangers, don't know that, to this day, and I hate this, to this day I still lower my voice when I say the word schizophrenia in on a sidewalk, in a cafe, coffee shop. If there's somebody around me who might hear me who I don't know who they are, I still do that to this day, even though I'm loud and proud about schizophrenia online and I have no problem talking about it, um, I... And I don't like that about myself. I wish that would change. It's, 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 it's basically ridiculous. Just, it's like, and, and I know there's people argue about, you know, those sorts of things with privacy and whatnot. It, it's, I, I'm, it's not a black and white issue. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, but it's uh, for me, I'm like, why can I talk with schizophrenia? There are, uh, it was 7.8 billion people on the planet. That's uh, 78 million people with schizophrenia. There are millions of us. One in 101% of the population globally has schizophrenia. And, you know, we're sitting there behind closed doors. We, we're talking in hushed conversations. Anything to get the word out about schizophrenia saying, no, it's okay, we can talk about it. Just like we're talking about mental health and depression. You couldn't talk about depression years ago. You had to whisper that too in public. You had to. I, I didn't, well, I wasn't loud and proud about that in the 90s. Yeah. And apparently, decades ago, cancer was like that. If you had cancer, you didn't talk about it. You talked about that hushed, the hushed conversations. Yeah, some people uh, call it the C word. It's like, don't, yeah. don't say the C word. But, I mean, it's yeah. great that you have, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just one last hurdle you have to get over. I mean, you've been so audacious up to this point. Like, you've gotten to a point where you're, you know, you're so honest and open about it, and you're you've owned it, and you you're helping others with it. So it's, it's just your last hurdle. It's just hard for you. I mean, even for me as a person with a disability, sometimes it is hard to show vulnerability. Uh, even though I'm very strong and I, I'm content with my visually impairedness, there's times where I, you know, don't want to show, like if I drop something and I'm searching for it, 
sometimes it takes me a little longer to find it. And someone goes, oh, it's right there. And sometimes I'll just go, yeah, yeah. And instead of just going, oh, thank you, I, I didn't see that. And it's, just, I don't know, maybe maybe it's the guy in us. We're just a little stubborn or um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just not being, you don't want to be vulnerable all the time because a lot of times people think you're weak. And regardless if you are or aren't, it's it's not relevant. It, it's just, it, you know, and then with, with schizophrenia, there's a lot of, misconceptions with that with even with you saying hey you know 25 percent of people don't hear voices what most people would associate schizophrenia with people hearing voices so yeah it's it's good to know all this information but i mean yeah maybe that's just your last hurdle that you haven't gotten across yet you haven't been able to deal with it but you'll i'm sure you will at some thanks thanks yeah i i will say though that uh uh, schizophrenia and other mental illnesses too are still not talked about as much as they should. They're still sort of more hushed, uh, unlike depression and anxiety that are much more open. But uh, on that note, there's on my website, I found two stores. I think they're on Etsy. I'd have to look. Um, one's on Etsy. Oh, one's on Etsy. The other is Michelle Hammer. She's in New York City and they sell schizophrenia clothing. You can get T-shirts, anti-stigma, schizophrenia, T-shirts and whatnot that have uh, schizophrenia on them to help start conversations about schizophrenia in public. I encourage any of your view or any of your listeners to, uh, there's, uh, some discount, there's a discount on one of them too on the Etsy store on my uh, website. Go to mindy.ca in the about section. There's links to those, uh, clothing stores. So okay. yeah. Cool. If we, yeah, if we had more people, openly discussing this, that'd be great. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, have you, now that label, you know, when it's put on you that you're schizophrenic, have you dealt with any kind of discrimination yourself or heard anything from people who, um, like I know a girl who she later in life was diagnosed. She was autistic. She was still, you know, mentally all there. She was very functional, but because of certain things, she was eventually diagnosed and people treated her differently. And obviously that, that can go with a lot of things in this world. But I mean, with, with schizophrenia, we don't hear enough about it. Is that something that when that label gets put on you, people talk to you, treat, you know, listen to you differently? Yeah, I, I was pretty lucky. My friends and family treated me well. I never got many uh, bullying really or anything. I, I was pretty lucky that way. I, I will say though about... Uh, about letting, uh, for example, jobs. A lot of people, uh, if they know you, that's one thing. If they can see you and have a conversation with you and talk about schizophrenia like I do with my friends and family and people I meet, when I meet people, I feel a lot more comfortable when I just get it out into the open. When I meet people, the, uh, you know, like coworkers, when I'm meeting new coworkers, the sooner I can get that out, the better. Uh, just like talking about the elephant in the room, it just uh, eases my conscience. Um, there's there's two uh, TV celebrities, Chris Winfield and Jen Gottlieb, and they teach people how to get on TV and the media, written up in podcasts or written up in publications and get on podcasts and radio. They, one of the struggles they have is the people are afraid to put themselves out there because they think, who am I? Who am I to share my story with people? You know, uh, they, uh, Chris and Jen really have to build you up uh, to get past imposter syndrome and whatnot. But a lot of people say a lot of people have uh, who, who want who have messages and things to share to get on to, to get in the media. They have had rough times in their life, and some of them say, you know, I don't want to share this about myself, or should I share this about myself? How much do I put out there, and how much, you know, if I say something about my life that's you know not good, 
will people reject me or not want to work with me or not want to have me on their show sort of thing. And they have a great way of describing this, which is they say, if you tell your whole story or whatever you want to share and you let people know that, yes, I've got this disease or I've been through this experience in life, this negative experience, what happens is, is the people who, who don't want to work with you, when you tell them that, they, will, they won't want to work with you because they just don't, they don't want to. And there's nothing you can do about that. But what that does is it automatically cuts out those people in your life. Because if you didn't tell them and you started working with them, there's just going to be trouble down the road. So by telling people, first off, you know, your true story, it just automatically cuts people out who don't want to work with you and opens up room for the people who do. Because there are so many people out there who will want to work with you because because of your negative story that you think you might want to hide from people. They want to work with you because of that. Yeah, and you, you, you really wake some people up. There's people who will who are afraid to speak up. And if there's not any of us that are – and again, I, I say this just as a person who speaks up for the disability and the mental health community – it's it, unfortunately there's there's some people that have to go through a lot of the humility and, and the rough parts of it. But if enough of us do it, then it's just comfortable. And then it's just, it's a conversation that doesn't even need to be had. It's just there. It's just the norm. You know, people talk yeah. about rights for gay people or black people in this country. And, and that's just, that's just, I mean, we're not even black people because that's been a thing, but like, you know, there's always this inclusion for more for women and, and all these different, and that, that, those are conversations that are just happening every day now. And it's just a thing, but like stuff for like what we're talking about, it's, it's a little more taboo and it shouldn't be. And, and the more of us, and again, unfortunately there's some of us that have to be on the front line and we have to take some of the shots and, you know, we have to deal with some of the humility a little bit there in the beginning, even to some in the middle where you just, you know, you go through some embarrassing times. But the more you do it, the more you become comfortable with yourself, become comfortable with talking about these issues. And then the more people you help, the better it is. It just heals you. And then because you're helping others and then hopefully you're convincing and motivating them to eventually step up themselves. And now you're not just one person. Now you're two. And then hopefully they help somebody and just so on and so on. And then the issue just becomes bigger and more widely known and, um, you know, more widespread and people know about it. It just, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lady in Quebec, Canada in 2002, she took the government to court saying it is cruel and inhumane to give people below subsistence levels of welfare. In Canada, it's about $560 a month for a single person for social assistance. And it was a heated debate back in 2002. Nine judges ruled five to four that it wasn't their decision to make that decision. And that's how the case ended. A lawyer friend of mine had to study that case when he was in law school. And I'm thinking about that, the words cruel and inhumane. Those could be applied to a lot of other things, not just uh, low levels of social welfare. Those could apply to the way people with mental health and addiction and homelessness have been treated in North America and other developed countries for decades. Um, it, so many people have been treated cruelly and inhumanely. And, you know, we've got the Truth and Reconciliation Committees in countries now dealing with Indigenous and trying to reconcile all the horrible things we did to them. Yeah. And should there be a Truth and Reconciliation Committee for what we've done to people who are homeless or addicts or mental health issues? How many people have died from financial stress? 
yeah. from you know getting low levels of below subsistence levels of welfare because it was cruel and inhumane. How many how many people have died from homelessness? And the uh, Prime Minister of Canada apologized in 2000, the first public apology in our country for the Indigenous and what we did to them. Are we do we need a public apology from the government saying we're sorry what we've done to you? And talking to you just a second ago, I got uh, a phrase popped into my head that I think I want to use more, inclusion for schizophrenia. Just a phrase, we need more inclusion for schizophrenia to include us. Just sometimes a phrase can really catch people's, catch people's attention. And I, anyway, I just had that idea popped into my head just while you were speaking earlier about inclusion. I'm like, inclusion for schizophrenia. I think I might try to use that a lot more now. Yeah. I, I think because yeah. as a person who advocates for people with disabilities, it, it's like some people don't even want to consider mental health even in that category. And I, I absolutely think it's a disability because it's a lot of times you'll, you'll hear people who are in wheelchairs and say their mental health is more crippling than their actual physical disability. Um, and it's just one of those. It's just like a hotel, and it's just a floor that no one goes on. It's just like, yeah, we don't go there. We don't go up there. Like it's the last floor, but we don't really we don't clean the sheets or anything. It's just there. Like no one wants to recognize it as something. We don't want. And and unfortunately, like I don't know why we do this. And again, maybe it's the media. Maybe it's just how everyone talks about it. And there's so many other disabilities that we're constantly discovering on a daily basis that it's, but we keep skipping over the one most obvious one that it's like, and I think, and I've said this multiple times, part of it is that the logo for, for people with disabilities is a guy in a wheelchair and it doesn't really include the majority of the disabled community because most people I would, I would gather that most people with disabilities aren't in wheelchairs. Um, when you add them all together, I mean, when you add like, the blind, the deaf, you know, even people with scoliosis and things who are have braces and things, those aren't wheelchairs, uh, or canes or walkers and things like that. So you add so much of it in, it's, we have this logo that really doesn't define our community at all. And, you know, when you get to the mental part of it, I mean, it, it's the mental health, again, we still still figuring out everything. I mean, it's kind of like COVID. We're kind of figuring everything out still many years later. And if we don't, again, we don't talk about it and we don't put it out there to the world, it's, we're not going to get any further. But with the, with the disability part of it, it's, you know, you saying you want to include schizophrenia. I mean, all of it should be included. Every, every, anything that yeah. ails us can be a disability. Now I know there's some that are on the fence and whatever, but mental health is, is absolutely a disability. It just is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, some people have it worse than others. And, and, and again, we also get in this very touchy dark area where uh, people, you know, say they can't work or they can't do this. And, and people say they're lazy and all that. And, and it, it's, again, and there are people who take advantage of the system. There are people who get disability and get all these things and they benefit off of other people's pain and they, they use the system. I get all that. But there are a lot of people who really are suffering. Um, I may work and, and, and do a lot of things in my life, but there are days I don't want to go to work. I don't want to get out of bed. Not as much anymore, but every so often I get one of those days where it's just like, I just want to have a headache. I want to have something bother me. So I, ha I feel like I have a real excuse because mental health doesn't seem like a legitimate excuse to most people. Um so I don't know. I'm kind of on a, yeah. on a tangent there, but um, no, no, no. I, I'm hearing you. Yeah, I, I never, 
uh, thought about this, the wheelchair logo and how that doesn't uh, apply to so many people. That's I never thought about that before. Yeah, and it, but I mean, it doesn't even apply to me as a visually impaired person, let yeah. alone someone with yeah. schizophrenia. Because you know, it, it, at least at least the blind and the visually impaired are recognized as a disability. Um, yeah. But we don't. We're not. And again, I'm not even like arguing for inclusion because in that way, but it, it's just. Because people have asked me, like, well, what do you think the logo should be? I'm like, I have no idea. Because you it, you would have to find something that would include all of us. You couldn't just put one specific, like, like a wheelchair. You couldn't do that because it, it does discludes everyone else. Um, yeah. But, again, I mean, it, it is what it is for now. But I do think it's something. And I'm not one for censorship and changing of things. Because I think we're in this culture now where we're just canceling and we're changing everything and, and we're just it's like the other day we found out Velma from Scooby-Doo is a lesbian it's like we're just we're just changing things just to appease other people when instead of why don't you just make another show or make better characters or you add a new character who is that but we want to change it just to appease certain people and it, it's so include changing the logo for the disabled people is fine but it has to be you know a unanimous thing like everyone's got to want it and it's got to include everyone. It can't just be to appease a certain part of the community. Yeah. Um, a lot of us can act and behave better if we're given the opportunity to. And a lot of times we're just not given the opportunity. Uh, in Vivek Murthy's book, uh, The U.S. Surgeon General, uh, his book's called Together, he gives a lot of examples of how given the opportunity, we can be a lot more understanding and compassionate towards each other. And for example, lady in college, she said she wanted to get to know her neighbors better. She went on this app called Next Door, and it's an app that will show you the people who live in your proximity, and you can get to know your neighbors. So what she did was she reached out to her neighbors and said, I want to get to know you guys. And she put on a, a, a dinner, like a weekly dinner, at a big table for like 20 people. She invited all sorts of people. They were so popular. All these neighbors who never even met each other, all of a sudden started coming out. She did neat ways of getting them to uh, introduce themselves to each other. She said there's such a wide range of people and from all different uh, walks of life. And they all just sat with each other and got to know each other. And she said it was so neat. And But people, you have to give them opportunities to do that because we generally don't go out of our way to do that. And one thing I started doing is simply saying hi to people on the sidewalk. Um, they're called, uh, somebody called, some book calls them micro moments, little moments that may not seem like much, but they could really make somebody's day. Yeah. I know a, a lot of people, they say, you know, I'm, they, they'll write a suicide note saying I'm going to jump off a bridge. But if somebody smiles at me, I won't. And then nobody smiles at them and then they're gone. And, you know, so I've started doing that just recently after, well, I think after reading this uh, Together book just recently and just simply saying hi to someone on the sidewalks, a hi and a smile. You, you never know how much that might brighten somebody's day, but you have to be the one going out of your way to do that. I mean, a lot of people, some people are friendly. You can see them coming and you say, you know, they're probably going to smile and say hi. Other people, they're not expecting it. They're, they may be lonely. You can get more defensive when you're lonely, thinking everyone's uh, everyone's against me or, or that kind of negative thinking. Loneliness can distort many people's views, including mine. I've been distorted by loneliness before, yeah. uh, thinking everyone you know everyone's got everyone's living a better life than me, and I'm the only one not sort of thing. Uh, 
so if someone's you know got their head down on the sidewalk, I go out of their way now to say hi. How are you? And smile. It's amazing how many people actually look at you and say hi back. And you just keep walking. It's just a moment. And but it's uh, you never know. I'm I'm trying that and I'm enjoying it. I'm trying to be more of a, a change maker instead of someone who's you know been lying flat on their back sick for so many years. I'm trying to be more of a leader and be more courageous and and do things like that. So good for you. Yeah, I've said so many times that don't be the reason. Like there's so many people that are holding on by a thread in, in many different ways, financially, physically, mentally, whatever. But especially when it comes to people who are just batting. And, I, and I've been there where I was just walking around when I was living in Philadelphia and just walking around looking for any kind of interaction with somebody, a positive one, because I wanted, I felt like I didn't, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anyone that gave a shit about me. Even if I did, I was in a headspace where I didn't think anyone cared. And I'm just looking for someone to be nice to me. And if one person would just be nice to me, it would give me a little bit of hope. Go, okay, there is somebody nice out here because so many people, and again, I, I have gone through a lot of abuse by adults when I was a child and stuff. So I had reasons to feel that way to some degree. Um, even, even, you know, if I had my mom and my grandma, I didn't really have, my best friend had died. So I didn't really have a lot of friends at the time. And so I was in a really bad headspace and that's where all the, the, the manifesting of negative thoughts and all I wanted to do was just discern some sort of positivity in my life. Just recognize something that that just feels good. And there's a lot of people like that are just kind of walking around like zombies just wanting something, just a little glimpse of hope. And, and unfortunately, and I don't know how it is in Canada, I know you guys are perceived to be nice, but I know I'm sure not everyone's great over there. But, oh, I'm, I'm so thankful an American said that because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there, there's a lot of people out here who who uh, who aren't who are mean. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, uh, we have yeah. tons of problems over here. I mean, our crime is way worse than yours, but we have tons of problems, and it's just and COVID made it even worse um, with just poverty and, and and just and pain. People are just angry and sad and and. They're taking it out on each other. Their loved ones are taking it on just random people. You know, you got the argument of mask, no mask. And of course, you do different political views and stuff. And everyone's just at each other's throat. And they just, I don't even know. It just seems like any everybody now just wants to be heard. And people are, are going about it in the wrong ways. And, um, and it's again, there's a lot of people that are just hurting and they just want a hug or they want, and it, it may, it may sound cheesy, but it doesn't even have to be a physical hug. Just something that makes that gives yeah. them that little tingle of just goodness. You're just like, Ooh, yeah. Oh, that made me feel good. Like, Oh, and you, you <laughs> smile and it brings you out of your shell even. And, yeah. and that that's, and, you know, again, it's, it's, it's cheesy, but you, you, we just need more positivity. We need more people trying to do good. Because yeah. it's for even for and I'm sure you you've been challenged many times, uh, you know whether you're doing the right thing, uh, whether you should still be doing this. Because what's the point? Because there's a lot of times you go the the tribe and tribulations of constantly running into walls, and you may be doing well, and maybe like for me with the podcast, I didn't have any expectations of where this would go. Ten people would listen, and now it's a few hundred, and it's just like. But it's not enough because I see what Joe Rogan or someone big does. And it's like I just because I want to impact people, because as you said earlier, like, you know, I spent a lot of time laying on my back, staring at my ceiling fan, depressed, not doing anything productive. And now I feel the productivity and I want to do it, but I don't know how to go about it because it's this is something that, you know, doesn't automatically just bring people in disability and, and homeless, you know, problems for, you know, uh, 
advocating for homeless people and addiction and all these, these aren't things that everyone wants to talk about because this, it's sad and some of it's dark and, um, yeah. but you, you have to keep going. You got to keep yeah. going because oh, yeah. the more you help people, the better you feel about yourself. Yeah. I read a quote in a book about advocacy and it said, could you, work your entire life or for years or decades, however long, working for a cause, whether it's a big cause or simply to get a crosswalk in your community, could you work all that time for years and never have one bit of progress? Could you still be happy? Could you still be happy if you worked your whole life or however long and had no progress? Could you still be happy? Because you know what? I tried. And hopefully I had fun along the way doing it. It's uh I think it's really, I'll, like you said earlier, like I, I've had times where I'm like, you know, I wish I had a bigger impact, that sort of thing. And I too have to remind myself of that quote from that book about, can you still be happy with no progress? Yeah. And I have to remind myself, Matthew, you aren't where you want to be, but you've helped some people. And that is huge. You know, so many people say, if I can only help one person, then it's worth it. So, you know, I'm, I, I, I should be happier with myself for, for what I've done so far. Sure. So, yeah. It's kind of like an addiction I, though. Cause it's like you, you, you do help oh, a yeah. person and, yeah. and you, you do mean that when you say it, but then you're like, how do I impact a second person and a third? And, and how yeah. do I become, it's not even like I joked about like, because of all the, you know, disabilities I've covered. I joked about like, I'm the Gandhi of the disability community. I've joked about it, but it's like, I really do want to help as many people as I can because I, you know, we also don't, we don't, not every day is promised and we don't know how long we have on this planet because, you know, we've been in bad situations where we might not have went much longer. Uh, and I just, I would love to help people so bad because there are so many people struggling and it would be, I don't want people to feel as lonely and as empty as I felt at that point in time, but it is really great to just help one person, even if you can't help a second. Yeah. Yeah. I just learned just like a couple hours ago about an app called Uchi, U-C-H-I. It's a, I think, Japanese word for in-group or inner circle. And the founder of this, Kevin Strauss, he he said that so many of us, uh, like our friends and family members or sometimes other people who we meet, who become closer friends, coworkers, uh, we can, with this app, what it does, it's all writing. And it's just a small group of people. You can have up to 50 people in a group and you simply ask, you answer questions and you write down your answers. And some of them are two questions that people generally just don't ask. I mean, if you're watching a football game or if you're talking to somebody on the sidewalk, if you're talking to a coworker, yes, sometimes we can have more uh, deeper conversations, but sometimes there's another layer that we just never get to. Um, Kalina Silverman, uh, she's got a platform called Big Talk. It's how to skip the small talk and ask these deeper questions in life. Like, what is your biggest regret in life? Or what are you most proud of in your life? Questions like that. And this app does that. It asks a wide range of questions. They've got hundreds and, just hundreds and hundreds of questions on there that you, that you answer. And then what you do is you read, all, like your friends, your, your mothers, your fathers, your, your, your friend, your, your uncle, your coworkers' answers online. And you get to know, oh... So that's what's really going on in your head. And you get this deeper connection with the people who are, who you are closest to anyway. And I just learned about this just today and I'd like to promote it more. Uh, Uchi, the app and it's free. There's a paid version for more in-depth stuff, but you can use it, in it for 
in a great way for free. And uh, I just signed up for it and I'm wanting, I sent it out to some of my friends. You, you don't, uh, it, it's kind of like social media, but not. It's uh, the only way other people can get into it is if you invite them by email. Right. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, like a Twitter feed mixed with like a group chat. It's kind of got yeah, different yeah. things to it. It's a smaller version yeah. of Twitter, but yeah, kind of like a, a much larger group chat. Kind of, I guess. Yeah. I'm just learning about it now. And, uh, but like people in the testimonials and he said, you know, well, he said he used it with his, his parents and he became close with his parents and, and more less frustrated with them and that sort of thing. Cause, Oh, now I know what you're thinking. And other people said like, uh, their 12 year old daughter hadn't spoken to their, the, the father's ex-wife in like a year or something. And now with the app, she is. So it's, uh, really, helps break down barriers when you get to know what's going on inside people's heads. And unless we're, and we love doing that. We love, a lot of us love having these deeper conversations and connecting with people more, but our society doesn't always make situations where it's socially acceptable to do that. But given just a little nudge, a little nudge like this app or this, like I said earlier, the lady who invited people to her house for a big dinner her, the neighbors in her in her neighborhood and asked it and, asked, and she asked questions like this too she got people talking about not just the small talk stuff we love that stuff we we, we gladly like uh there's a book called talk to strangers by david topas and he says uh, he talks about how to approach strangers in public he says so many of us are walking around we go inside looking for people to meet we want to have conversations and meet people but we generally just don't because we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to walk up to strangers and just start conversations. And uh, it's, but given a little nudge, we all, we all like doing this. So many people will open up to you. Total strangers will open up to you about their, their bout with count, their bout with cancer and how that made them feel. The uh, guy, Brandon Stanton, he's got the humans of New York photo uh, platform. He takes photos of people in, in New York city and then he asked them a little bit about their story. He says, tell me something that uh, really affected you profoundly. And he has these total strangers who he just met on the street, just telling them about, you know, have, what it's like to feel like to lose their daughter. And he writes it up in a few paragraphs with their photo and puts it up. And people eat that up like it's, like it's candy. It's, uh, we just, like you said earlier, we're starving for human connection. Yeah. Well, and I think social media has kind of hurt that whole you know, one-on-one conversations because it's people are constantly on their phones and people are really, most people aren't really, really active and wanting to open up and just, Hey guys, what's up? Cause they rather do it because it's safer behind your keyboard. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, but, um, yeah. 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 No, so but I wanted to get into kind of, before we kind of wrap up here, I want to get into what yeah. you, what you're doing today. Yeah, so my main focus is uh, mental health in developing countries. I will help people um, wherever I can, but I do focus the most on mental health in developing countries because I think they need it the most. Before I say that, though, there's a man, Shakar Saxena. He's from Harvard. He spoke at the UN and said that every country, when it comes to mental health care, is a developing country. So America and Canada, other developed countries, we have a lot of things going on well here, but overall, our mental health systems are classified as a developing countries. Yeah. Which is food for thought. Yeah. That said, I still would rather be in Canada 
for healthcare, even though we need a lot of work on our, I mean, people say, well, oh, you've got free healthcare here. Yeah, that's great. But we, we need a lot of stuff improved here too. We do, there's people here with long waits for mental health care and stuff like that. So, but, uh, in developing countries, it's, it's worse. And, uh, we, I mean, some people are actually kept in chains with mental illness in some countries. Yeah. Yeah. They estimate hundreds of thousands in 60 countries are kept in chains. They're tied to a tree, tied to a bed. Sometimes they have their foot through a log with untreated mental illness as well. And maybe war and extreme poverty and all the problems that go along with that. I'm like, I went through mental illness in Canada in a sleepy part of Canada. And I felt like I was living in a war zone. And my heart went out to people in developing countries who have mental illness to go through as well on top of all the other things they have to go through. The good news is that there are models of basic mental health care that are low cost, proven effective, and scalable. And the World Health Organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll them out to the masses. In the meantime, I found 10 nonprofits that you can donate to or fundraise for that are using these models of basic mental health care. They have been for years and they've helped thousands of people get back up on their feet mentally and be able to feed their families while they're living in, you know, poor areas, which is huge. And I'm trying to promote them. I'm trying to build their capacity. My website is the only one of its kind in the world. If you go looking for these groups, they're scattered across the web. My website puts them all on one site. And I hope to see the website get more traction as time goes on and become more of a hub for the cause. I am looking for people with uh, graphic design or, or web uh, website abilities to uh, build that out more. Um, the number one thing that people can do to help is to share that website and get more people talking about it. I would love if someday MindAid, my name or MindAid, or if somebody can do it better and faster than me and they can get all the, the uh, get all the benefits, all the glory, if that's what I want to call it. Um, I would love if MindAid was a household name like UNICEF uh, because it's, it's, it's huge. There are over 270 million people in developing countries with no mental health care. And they say those numbers are probably estimated low. They're probably higher than that. Yeah. And some countries have only one psychiatrist per million people. And if anybody wants to share that, share the MindAid website, share, I've got a YouTube channel. I'm on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. If anybody wants to share any of my content or in any capacity, it's free to do. And I would love if more people knew. I mean, if you wanted to help someone with depression in Uganda, where would you go? Hmm, Well, my site falls up and uh, Fine Mind is helping people with depression in Uganda as is Strong Minds. Strong Minds actually started working in America because some of these models of basic mental health care can work and are working in developed countries. And, uh, yeah, these models could help us here at home. Wow. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, you're right. Cause it's how oh, there's people, even the major, even I'm sure there's, there's people that struggle with it here in the States, probably even in Canada. It's, yeah. it's, you know, again, especially there's a lot of people who don't want to come out. They want to do it on, you know, very hush hush. They don't want people to know that they have mental health because it's, it could be very, obviously very personal, but again, it's back to the labels. People don't, they don't want the world to know that they're going through it because people write you off as, and I'm sure what schizophrenic is a big one when you get written off as crazy. doesn't mean you are, yeah. but, you know, those labels mean something to some people and it, it 
they they only know the very surface parts of those type of conditions and it's like oh okay and that's what you are so there's people out here that are constantly searching for some sort of help i mean i'm i'm looking for my own help my own ways and it's you know i've been dealing with this for you know 15 years or whatever and it, but okay. you just keep going and you keep trying and and you know, but in the more knowledge you find, the the, the more clear it becomes. It, it, it's it's there. It's just it's unfortunate that there is so much. Because even if you look up something like, you know, what is the best supplement for whatever? Like in my case, brain fog. Oh my God, you'll get a hundred different things, and they'll all say which one is top five, and this is the best one, and that one's the best one, and you you'll never get a clear cut answer. You never will. And then doctors, they never really recommend a lot of that stuff. They'll recommend more medication. And a lot of those medications don't work for everybody. And, yeah. and you get more side effects. You get different side effects that can cause different problems in your life than that. So it, it's yeah. good that you have this way of helping people find, you know, try to get to the source and the bottom of, of their problems because these mental health is is so complicated as you were saying earlier like there it's it's not like you know like as you said they don't really work on the the actual body part the actual organ whereas most other problems you say i have a problem with my foot they could just do an x-ray and it's like okay there's a you know bone chipped or something but with the brain it's it's completely different and so confusing and and i think that's one of the biggest hurdles you have to get over is how confusing it is and, and how uh, impossible it seems to solve that issue because there aren't as many people in in this field that are helping. Like there's not many doctors that are, are like the doctors you were mentioning earlier that are really uh, putting out the right amount of information that can help anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely tough. It's definitely tough, um, but it's one of the things I wish I had more of was people to listen to me. I think when you feel heard, seen, recognized, acknowledged, that can, a lot of, I mean, for me from the beginning, I was like, you know what, this is my battle. I'm going to go through it. And I just sort of accepted it. And yeah, it was tough. Um, but I did wish that I had more people to just share my journey with me. Like, you know, how's it going today, Matthew? And about an hour a week in the conversation was about all I needed to get everything off my chest. And I, I wished I could have gotten more of that or for people to hang out with, just watch a movie. And uh, those things are huge and, and they count. It's, uh, it's, it can really help shoulder the burden knowing you're not alone in your journey. And um the other thing I want to mention is that uh, the Mark Divine book, Unbeatable Mind, the Navy SEAL, he says that Navy SEALs are taught in their training that you're capable of 20 times more than you think you are. And they say that's a somewhat random number, but the Navy SEALs are taught in their training. They're taken to the brink of physical and mental exhaustion. And they say, I can't go another inch. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And their trainer comes up to them and says, you know what? You think you're done? Not only do you have 5% more or 10% more, not even 100% more. You don't even have double what you think. You've got 20 times more than you think you do. The human body can just keep going. The human body, the human mind, we, we think we're done. But it's all these tricks the mind plays on us. And they're shown, these Navy SEALs are shown in their training that they can keep going for hours and hours and hours longer than they thought they could. 
Yeah. And it's, it's phenomenal what we can do. Um, I also want to mention for people who are struggling, if you, uh, for, I mean, there's a lot of pressure today to have a platform to help other people, uh, especially these days. And I want to remind you that if today, if all you could do was get out of, you couldn't even, even if today you couldn't even get out of bed, I want to congratulate you on going on spending another day here on the planet. And I know today was probably lousy, but congratulations for fighting for another day. And even though you just lay in bed all day, I've lain in bed all day many times throughout my recovery. I want to congratulate you. Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, the Hollywood actress, had bipolar. She said people should be given medals for going through mental illness, for their bravery, for their courage. Right now, you should be up receiving a medal from the president, from the prime minister of your country, congratulating you. They should have the national anthem being played. They should have people cheering and clapping for you and saying, my gosh, how did he or she do that? How do they do that? Wow, I, w- I wish I could be as brave as them. Yeah, for sure. It's, it takes a lot of bravery for sure. I don't know how you know, some of us are still standing. I, I question that every day a lot of times where I'm just, you know, I didn't realize how much I could actually take until I just took it. And, you know, many years later, there's times where I'll endorse something that maybe would affect the average person uh, more harshly. And, and I, it just kind of bounces off me at this point. And I'm like, wow, like that's, that, that wouldn't have happened many years ago, but it's that inner strength. There's something very beautiful and just powerful about it. Um, but I should wrap up here just cause I don't want this go on for too long, but, um, I really appreciate you for coming on and sharing your story. I think you're a brave guy. I'm glad you, you're doing what you're doing cause it definitely needs to be heard and someone needs to do it. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And likewise to you. Um, this has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Well, um, hopefully you want to keep in touch and. Uh, yeah. Anything you need, any you need someone to support you in anything, just please send me a text or you need someone to talk to. I'm here. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's very kind of you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Anytime, buddy. And we'll uh, we'll talk very soon. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right, brother. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. See you, buddy. Bye. Okay. Make sure. Okay. There we go. Hung up. Um, yeah, thank you guys for enjoy- listening to this conversation. Uh, really good guy, man. I enjoyed talking to him. Uh, schizophrenia is one I haven't delved into, and it's it's one I've always wanted to talk about because there's a lot of misnomers when it comes to that. But before I get to it, Bullet, it, the mic's too far. Do you want to say anything? No, he doesn't. He just wants to lay in a ball. Look cute. Okay. I don't, know why, I don't even know why I pay you to be my co-host. I pay you in treats. You don't You don't even help me out. You just lay in here looking cute. My little handsome mans. All right. Well, we're going to end this show, and you're not going to say anything. And the fans, they, they like to hear. I'm going to try. Let's see. You want to say something? <laughs> that was it? Okay. So... I will uh, give you the visual visualization of what he just did. He looked at the mic, put his nose on it, 
purred into it and then just laid back and showed his belly. So <laughs> he likes to be a little ham and just be adorable. But you guys can't see that, so you just have to take what I say as, as gospel. All right, Bullet, we're getting out of here, okay? All right, big guy. I love you, big guy. Um, thank you guys again. But, yes, uh, I, schizophrenia is another one I, I've gotten to tackle. I, I didn't know when I'd get to it, but. Uh, I found someone who was willing to talk, and he reached out to me. So that that's always a positive, too, that there are people who want to talk to me. It's not just me pushing so hard to find people and track them down. There's people I'm still trying to get because there's some people that are either idols of mine or, or in the same field that are, are very positive, and I know they'd be great guests, but they're hard to get a hold of. So we'll get them. We'll get them. Bullet, ready? All right. He's ready. I'm ready. Let's get the hell out of here. I will see you guys next week. Oh, that's not the right one. That's the right one. Bye, guys.